you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world raise $130 million in growth funding and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. So today, I'm really happy to welcome on the Metaverse show, People Pleaser. Welcome, People Pleaser. Hi, thank you for having me. So let me try to unpack uh, how I would describe you, your background, and what you're up to. But actually, I was trying to recall the first time I came across you. I think I must have reached out to you over a year ago. Yeah, more than a year ago. Um, kind of in recognition of the awesome stuff that you were doing in the DeFi space, creating like very highly mimetic uh, artwork and promotional material for the DeFi space. And I think I did it to, to, to try to connect you with some of our portfolio, but I was clearly, firstly, I was clearly right to recognize your, your talents, um, but <laughs> much too slow because um, off you've gone and now you're doing some amazing things, including being Fortune, um, featured on the front of Fortune Magazine's recent crypto cover and NFT series. Um, you have launched and become an honorary member of Please Adele and, I mean, lots of stuff, right? Um, so you have described your influences as animated films, the underground music scene, video games, and traditional Chinese and Japanese art. Obviously, that's in the context of you being an artist, a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, you're kind of probably best known or in the past have been best known as DeFi's high quality meme generator. Who would have thought that was a career? But you, you've, <laughs> shown, you've shown the world it really is. Um, Interesting to know what your family thought of that that career choice. Uh, I'm sure they're over the moon about it now, but doing um, <laughs> it, it was it's probably quite weird. Um, and so you were you were kind of doing loads of memes for DeFi protocols like Aave, SushiSwap, Yearn, Polynex. Uh, probably in the was it the DeFi summer when you were kind of really really yeah. came to the floor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was God. I forget the years now. What summer of 2020? Yeah, yeah, that was in the summer of 2020. Yeah, it's all it's all a blur, right? Um, but you know, now you're at this intersection of DeFi and NFTs. As I mentioned, you've been part of launching Please DAO, and we were kind of off air discussing how how you would describe that. So um, you said it was acquiring historically significant internet history, presumably via NFTs, to become the internet MoMA. Um, but most importantly, for the community, almost as a as a public good, public service, and of course, you have the dog token, which is um, an element of presumably coordinating and incentivizing that. So, so how did you get into into DeFi? Were you already deeply embedded in in crypto? And what what's your what's first your journey into DeFi? And then then we can kind of go from there into to where you are now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, my journey into crypto in general started in 2017. Um, like many other people, you know, I had heard about Bitcoin like when I was in college and that, that was in 2014. But then 
Um, you know, I didn't have any money back then, not like also just wasn't super sure. But it, it, the concept definitely intrigued me. But, you know, I was like so young that I didn't have a bandwidth to think of anything other than like, how do I find a job? <laughs> um, and so um, in 2017, after, you know, I had been working um, and I saved up a little bit of money, I mainly was just looking into how I can then invest any sort of like extra money that I've saved. And um, I honestly just didn't really know much about like traditional finance at all. Like, you know, I didn't even know how to buy bonds or stock or whatever. Um, and then so, but I was an avid Reddit user at the time. Like, <laughs> honestly, I think I was on Reddit like every single day. And then so through Reddit, I discovered the cryptocurrency subreddit. And, you know, because I think they were speaking sort of like, in a younger language, I think like most people will have known, uh, which later now is mostly coming from like crypto Twitter, the culture is very much, you know, like revolving around a young um, crowd. And or at the very least, you know, the culture is a young one, even if some of the participating members might not be, you know, on books, like number wise that young, but you know, the culture that they're sort of like um, in synergy with is definitely, you know, a more new age internet native one. And so that's, I think that's like sort of the main thing that really drew me in, you know, and I, you see trickles of that in the cryptocurrency subreddit for sure. And so that's how I came about crypto. And then I was just like, look, if I'm going to invest my money um, first, um, you know, obviously I read about blockchain and I found the technology to be revolutionary, you know, obviously because um, the more I read, the more I understand. And even to this day, I'm still learning. So I'm not saying I know everything about blockchain and crypto, but it definitely made sense to me at the time back in 2017. And then, so I put some money in, um, you know, some ICO coins, rode the bull run all the way to the top, and then um, also held all the way through the bear market. But obviously, when the bear market hit, you know, what I thought was going to be the new like future of sort of like financing or investing, you know, maybe didn't turn out to be that way, especially when I was trying to convince my parents because I was initially like, look, I, you know, I like 10x my money. But then when the bear market hit, you know, I lost all my money again. And my parents were like, see, this is not a real thing. And so I went back to doing my regular life and job, I guess. Um, and then I kind of just left crypto on the back burner until DeFi summer kicked off again. And obviously where there's money, there's attention. And so you know, with people getting rich off of DeFi summer, it definitely, uh, crypto started making noise again. And then, um, one of my good friends at the time who I didn't even know was in, into crypto. Um, he just messaged me and was like, dude, I'm making like this much amount of money, um, farming coins and DeFi every day. Like there's some crazy stuff happening in crypto right now. And then, so, um, that obviously got my interested again. And, at the time, I wasn't actually employed, like I didn't have a job and I was continuously job hunting. And so um, I also really needed some income. And then, you know, so initially I was just drawn to DeFi summer as a means to maybe I could make passive income like this way. And then uh, so I created so my friend told me that, you know, most of the activity actually happens on Twitter. And then so I created a crypto Twitter account um, just for this reason. And I was um, browsing through crypto Twitter, just trying to learn more about the space. And then while I was doing that, um, I uh, was just noticing that, you know, a lot of the promotional efforts in DeFi were very, like you said, mimetic. It's very um, much revolves around memes. And then 
this was a language that I understood and that I spoke and it, you know, reminded me of the culture that I learned about um, browsing the cryptocurrency subreddit. And uh, I, I remember just passively saying, joking, it was just, I, it was just a joke that I made. I said, haha, you know, I noticed all these memes, but nobody who's actually making them has obviously spent a lot of time on this. And I was like, I can, just because I needed a job, I was like, they should just hire me. I'll totally do a better job. <laughs> That's literally how it started. And then my friend actually took that to heart. Um, and then, so then that was that summer that Blue Kirby sent out a tweet saying, he was like, hey, um, does any, like, I'm looking for somebody who's good at like video editing or something um, that we can work with. And so my friend sent Blue Kirby my art Instagram at the time. Blue Kirby looked at it and he's like, oh, your friend's work is cool. And then so then we linked up and he was like, look, I think we can do something cool together here and collaborate on something for Wi-Fi. And so I made my first animation for Wi-Fi and um, that's how I got started. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because on like so many levels, uh, and I don't know if you see it this way, but you're almost an exemplary degen, right? You know, <laughs> you're coming from these particular kind of Reddit, subreddit forums, you're here because of the memes, at least initially, um, you know, you were actively degening in DeFi, which I'll be honest, you know, I, on a personal level, I've, I've, I've not actively done that much, nor has what 90% of, of crypto, <laughs> most crypto assets aren't actively put to use in DeFi. So, um, and it's interesting I mean, again, I don't want to make assumptions, and, I, and equally, I don't want to dox you. But I'm, I'm assuming your background was initially through the creative industries, right? Not necessarily with a high degree of financial literacy. No. Nope. So that financial literacy is pretty much self-taught as a byproduct of leveraging DeFi, which is like very complex, and to understand risk in DeFi is outside the reach of most people, including myself. So. I mean, that must have been quite a journey. For sure. It was a steep learning curve. Um, but, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And <laughs> still by no means right now am I a DeFi expert. You know, I think I've only touched the surface of it. And, um, you know, compared to my peers who are actively building in DeFi, um, you know, I think that my knowledge is very shallow. But um, like I said, yeah, at the time, you know, I was just desperate to make any money. So, um, you know, it kind of like forced me to deep dive into this world just purely out of necessity because I needed income. And, um, you know, I, I'll admit some, there were times where I understood what was going on through forced learning. And then there were other times I just did it and I just kind of went with it, like, or at least pretended to know what was happening. You know, like people in DeFi would be conversing about this and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. I'll go make an animation based on this product. But sometimes, you know, even after reading the white paper or something, I'm still like, I have no idea what is going on here. Oh, story um, of my life. Story of my yeah. life. And so, you know, like you said, DeFi is so complex. And I think so many people who are in it and building it like really Truly, their brains are in a future that my brain has not arrived <laughs> to yet. Um, I hope I'll catch up one day. But uh, for sure that, you know, I was looking into the risks and stuff. But, you know, like I said, it goes back to I didn't have much to start with. So, you know, when you don't have that much to lose, you're also not that concerned about risk. You right. know, like I, I didn't have a job. Like I didn't I had not that much money saved up. Like, you know, if I lost everything, it wasn't going to be a lot of money. Um, 
so yeah, I guess that was a blessing in hindsight where um, I just sort of fell into it more courageously than the average person because I had less to lose. Yeah. And in a way, you know, I, I guess this is what made you the perfect guide, right? Because if you're you're not necessarily of that world, you're trying to navigate it, you're trying to make sense of it, that makes you a, a great person to to distill it and, and make it digestible for the average person, right? Which is clearly something you've done very successfully. Huh. Well, that's high praise. And I, I can only hope that you know, that's what my, a lot of my past work has done, which is just to make it, you know, because I was also in a way making it more digestible for myself. Right. Like, yeah, um, I'm uh, honestly, it was more like an explain, like I'm five to myself. And then while I'm doing that, I might as well use a visual medium to explain it. And then maybe when other people watch it, they can also understand. Yeah. So it's interesting you say past work. I I definitely want to come back to that and, and see if you see a distinction between what you're doing now, presumably as a, a, a bona fide creator rather than somebody doing contract work, promotional work. But I just want to, before we go there, I want to come back to a point because I think it's interesting to see where you felt you sat as a creative in DeFi. You know, mm-hmm. I certainly felt that coming out of the, the crash 2018, there was a split in the Ethereum community, and I don't know whether you self-identify as a as, as an, you know somebody from the Ethereum community, but it felt like the creative, the more creatively minded people went off and did NFTs, and nobody really paid any attention to them until, of course, beginning part of this year. Um, and then the other people went off and did DeFi, and of course that that sucked up all the attention. But it felt like the two things were very separate. Did did you yeah. did you feel that personally, and did you? like identify with it any one of those groups or for sure it's interesting um you know I, I feel like a lot of the podcasts i do talk about you know but obviously you being somebody who is very veteran in the space it's very interesting that you brought this up you're basically you're the first person in a podcast who has brought up this topic and i think that not enough people have either observed it or lived it or talk about it um and you know i i even though I was involved in crypto, but I would say that pre-DeFi summer, <laughs> I was neither part of the Ethereum community or, you know, really any, I would consider myself as a, a normie who had exposure in crypto. Like that's how I would describe myself and, you know, sort of the, the stuff. Held, that, right. I mean, you said that you held, I early, held which is um, a big, I, I like, believe- normies don't do that. it's true i mean i held because i was like look my three thousand dollars that i put in has plummeted to like six hundred dollars why would i sell now you know like and because i truly did believe in the technology so i was like well you know it's probably gonna go back up one day um i don't think you can classify as a normie because if you believed if you genuinely held because you believed fundamentally in the technology i think that qualifies you as something that's pretty pretty sophisticated entering the market to be honest well i mean well you know what i'll take it <laughs> I, wouldn't <laughs> well, say, hey. I wouldn't say that about myself but yeah i guess so I, I really did believe in the technology and also just that life went on it wasn't a lot of money so you know it was easy for me to forget about that specific aspect of my life um but at the same time you know what like so basically what i'm saying is i don't think i, I think that when i re-entered crypto um and when i say re-enter i mean you know, starting from DeFi summer, this was when 
from becoming like a passive consumer or a passive investor, I became an active contributor, right? Which I think they're two very, very different things as well. And so from an active contributor standpoint, I definitely entered through the DeFi channel and not the NFT. Um, Even though, um, you know, honestly, Blue Kirby was a great red pillar. (laughs) Like he was a great red pill to sort of like DeFi and NFTs because he actually introduced me to both. Um, around the same time. Sorry, is the sirens in the background? Like- <laughs> That's okay. Look, you know, we, we look, we're, we're used to it, right? We've had a year of COVID, and you get all kinds of weird noises. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll ride it through. But okay. I'm interested. Like, did you did you as a creator at any point connect the dots that this tooling, this like financial tooling, would enable you as an artist, or was this kind of seen as like a, a, a gig, you know, like to just make, make some income on the side. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Definitely in the beginning, it was just for me to make some income on the side. And I was yeah. even thinking like, oh, I'll keep doing this DeFi stuff. Um, yeah, I saw them very much as separate. Like I was like, well, if I learn DeFi through and through, I'll be able to use this as my investment means. And then what I'm doing for them is, yeah, I saw his commissions at the time. And hopefully, you know, maybe if I go back to get a real job again, <laughs> I'll just invest in DeFi in my free time. Um, I, I don't think that I actually saw, you know, sort of like the window open where I, you know, I could combine NFTs and um, DeFi until probably the formation of Pleaser DAO. So that was in March. Um yeah, so during DeFi summer, I definitely saw it as more like a side gig, uh, for sure. And like you said, because the communities were so separate, even though I was um, introduced to both of them, like NFTs and DeFi, um, you know, I was just, I was only able to focus on one of them. So I was like, so busy. Um, you know, it's ironic, because my path is a little bit different than your average creator, which is that I was just stumbled into DeFi, obviously, and I was so busy doing all these DeFi commissions that I didn't have time to investigate or even look into the world of NFTs. Like it was kind of like, you know, I was over in DeFi land doing all this stuff and I knew that there was all this other stuff happening in NFT land. Um, And, you know, even in January, February, when it really started blowing up, I still wasn't very much participating in it because I just didn't have time. And like you said, there was this huge separation. And so it almost felt like I had to choose a side or at least you know, with only 24 hours in a day, you can only allocate so much time, right? And attention. And so uh, basically what happened then was when I was working on the animation for the Unisoft V3 launch, which I knew was going to be a very, very big deal. Um, I was like, why? I don't see why actually, I, there was this aha moment where I was like, I don't see why I can't use this as a one stone, two bird situation where I just uh, make this as the commission, but I also drop it as an NFT. And if it is an impactful sale, then in theory, <laughs> my reputation should also permeate. Like I'll also get a slice of that NFT pie, if that makes sense. And it was a pretty good play, right? I mean, I think yeah. we sold for what, 310 ETH, which was over $500,000 at the time? Yeah. Wow. I mean, and what was the closest... What was the most you'd ever sold a piece of work for before then? What was the average commission, for example? <laughs> um, I mean, to be completely honest with you, uh, the average commission I was doing before that 
was anywhere between like three to five thousand. Wow, amazing! Well, you, you've hundred xed. Um, <laughs> so you know what? What more can you ask for, right? Um, and so, so I want to like come to this distinction because you you kind of um, maybe maybe it wasn't intentional, but you, you mentioned like past work. And so I'm interested to see as an artist, as a creator, whether you see a distinction between your past work and your present work, because, you know, I mean, I, I started only really seriously collecting what I would class as NFT art just after the summer of last year, 2020. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was initially coming at it from quite a conventional, I mean, I'm 40, right? So, you know, I'm kind of coming at it from a generationally slightly different perspective. And I was kind of looking at what I regarded to be like digital fine art, high aesthetic, um, which was totally the wrong investment move because, of course, all the money accrued into like highly mimetic, you know, what you might regard as lo-fi Oh, deliberately so, right? Low aesthetic. Sure. Um, and so so actually, you know, crypto art and and the, the more successful crypto art is effectively meme art. So do you yeah. see a distinction between meme art for DeFi uh, versus, you know, what you're doing now or even the wider crypto space and crypto art space? You know, I think there's still a lot of days where I feel like, um, the NFT art community don't take me seriously as an artist, probably because a lot of what I do is, uh, yeah, like meme art or, um, you know, sort of like because it revolves around a product, let's say, like something DeFi related, they might think it's more commercial. Um, but, you know, that's where I hope that where we're headed, which is the metaverse and Web3 is a playground where we can set our own rules and not have to carry sort of any kind of pre, you know, web three notions or like this, these like stigmatized, I don't know, invisible boundaries that we drew for ourselves. You know, it's like anything can be art. And, you know, if I am as a digital creator using the same tool set, have the same sort of, technical background as somebody who deems themselves a true like fine artist you know in the digital realm um the subject matter shouldn't really change that and I mean, so that's my my opinion at least you know i'm obviously biased because i'm coming from like more of a like you said like a, i'm making more like meme art and stuff but you know at the end of the day i think art is just about conveying a message and making people feel something and you can do that with any medium. Yeah. And look, you know, when I say that, I definitely did not mean it in a derogatory sense. Cause I think it, it's like very normal, like both from a generational perspective or when a particular type of art becomes institutionalized that, you know, it, it looks down upon what, what's next. And that's mm -hmm. true with like pop art, which of course is born out of, I mean, directly born out of taking commercial work and advertising and, yeah. and turning it into art. Um, but then even things like punk, right, where it, it was seen as very anti-establishment and very quickly got adopted in. And, and I think, you know, history has shown that um, these kind of cultural movements that, that 
you know, are seen as fringe very quickly uh, dominate popular culture. And you're definitely seeing that with NFTs. And, you know, again, you used a very interesting word. Whenever you talked about your previous work with DeFi, it was always commissions. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like you were sat in-house, you know, spitting out banners and um, and buttons, right, for for a one company. You, yep. were, you were commissioned to do work. You were always an independent designer, illustrator, artist. So I, I guess that's also kind of integral to the, the legitimacy of you as a creative as well. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, and I, I think that was the beauty of, why I was so into this as well is because the people who were commissioning me also, you know, they didn't pretend to be like, oh, I know more about art than you do. They really, I think why I discovered it as like a new rabbit hole that I fell into and I was so um, ad- adamant about is just because of the creative freedom that they were giving me, you know, like I feel like in Web3, everybody sort of like, if you're an expert at something, everybody sticks to their lane. Nobody tries to step into other people's lanes. Like it's very much a positive, um, some mindset where, you know, everybody helps each other out by, uh, just sort of providing what they think could be valuable to others. And then, so, um, they just let me do whatever I felt was right. And, you know, to me, at least it was art that I was creating, like everything was creative, you know? And, um, it was just, I I just had like a subject matter to sort of guide me and what I was creating. Yeah. And again, I don't see the difference between being commissioned to create meme art about DeFi versus, I mean, how much, I mean, even Beeple, right? I don't know if it's commissioned, but he he creates very or increasingly, you know, crypto referential artwork. Sure. Um, And so I I don't personally make, make a distinction there. So... So how did you go from from this moment of 100xing your work um, <laughs> to being on the front cover of Forbes as, I guess, the poster child of the NFT movement and and then people please uh, the DAO? <laughs> you know, I often ask myself that question too. <laughs> I just looking like months, right? I mean, what, 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 how, how many months was it from that that sale to to where we are now? Um, yeah, that so that sale happened at the end of March. Wow. So yeah, we are beginning of September right now. Oh my god, what a what a summer you've had. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, you know, everybody who works in crypto or at least is involved with it very heavily understands the concept of crypto time dilation where one month of crypto really feels like and translates to several months if not a year in the real world and obviously i feel very very lucky and blessed um that that i just happened you know there's definitely hard work um in what i put into getting to where i am but um, there was a large element of luck and just being in the right place at the right time as well. So, you know, I'm never going to discount that. And I feel incredibly lucky. Honestly, what happened to me in the past year, I don't think is very normal and is probably, you know, what typically happens to maybe creatives like myself within a span of 10 years in the traditional world, predating Web3. And so I, I also feel like that's what's so fascinating and so amazing about this space is that it's creating this inversion of control um, and developing at such a pace that people can have insane trajectories um, at a pace that wasn't previously possible. Well, I, you know, and I, of course, I, I totally 
understand and appreciate the humility. But at the same time, look, I mean, if, of course, the buzzword now is is the metaverse and how I understand the metaverse is this kind of convergence of culture, tech, and finance. And there's probably nobody better placed than you to represent that. Um, so it, it feels, at least in retrospect, pretty common sense that <laughs> you would become... Um, you would become a poster child for that. But can you tell us, could you just talk us through like from that sale to to to, to where you are now with the front cover in the Dow? Like how, how did it happen? What were the key moments? Sure. I mean, I think basically, you know, immediately after the Unisop sale, I had asked myself the question, well, you know, what's next, <laughs> right? And I still, obviously, I, you know, just, being that, you know, I started from such a low place in the sense that I was a nobody and the crypto community were so welcoming to me and willing to give me opportunities. It has also created this relationship that I now see as uh, mutually beneficial. So how and how the community has elevated myself, I hope to also, through my work, elevate the community. And um, so, you know, I thought about this a lot and it has sort of evolved and is still continuously changing to this day. Um, but definitely after the Uniswap piece, I felt like, okay, originally my goal, like I, I told you was, uh, that my reputation would permeate the NFT space. And then maybe, oh, I'd be, you know, sort of at least have my name on the radar and then collectors from the NFT space will start noticing me and maybe collect my art. And then I can have, you know, a means to survive or whatever. But at that point, you know, um, I realized that, you know, my goal isn't like, cause just to give you a little bit of background, um, anybody who's sort of like a creative like me and in a previous world, their ultimate dream is to sort of execute their own visions, right? And not be working for anybody. So yeah, like the ultimate dream would be like, to be like a cause or somebody where you're just making your own artwork and nobody's telling you what to do. And then because you're so famous and cool, people will buy it. You know what I mean? Um, and so people sort of like get there by either working for others or doing commissions. And, you know, I think in the traditional world, freelance work was regarded a little bit more, you know, like lowly um, and that you're executing other people's visions or whatever. You're like a slave to other people. Uh, but I, because I didn't feel that way in the web three. So, you know, I continued to do that with like DeFi and everything. And after the Uniswap thing, I did sort of really ask myself, well, is my purpose really, to start selling NFTs um, because I, I realized that uh, the industry that I was in is not just at like, you know, at, or, and at the pace that it was moving and everything that, you know, I, I, I think that at that moment I was like, okay, I now have sort of like a spot on the stage of this cutting edge technology and space that is moving and developing so fast um, that it would be, it would be almost wasteful if I was just only, dropping art pieces and minting them as NFTs and just selling that, you know, it's just like, for some reason I was like, okay, this is not my purpose anymore. So then what is my purpose really in the space? And, you know, still to this day, I ask myself this question. It changes all the time, but you know, like how Linda Shia, do you know Linda Shia who? Yeah. Yeah. So you know how she's kind of like a pioneer in the space and um, sort of like spreading crypto awareness and like there are the pieces that she writes and um, everything. I almost see like, I mean, she's been somebody that I've been, um, that I had admired and wanted to follow for a really long time. And so I almost see myself in a similar situation where I'm just using a different form of medium, right? So my medium is visual art and I can hopefully use this to also spread crypto awareness and 
you know, hopefully innovate, pave new paths and see where we can take this space and set an example for others. And so that's kind of like where it all started. And then, so the, the first thing that I did immediately after the Uniswap sale was um, I uh, went to speak. Um, I prepared this presentation for Andreessen Horowitz's NFT Summit. It was cross-hosted with the Stanford Center of Blockchain Research. And I felt like this is something that gives me sort of like aligns with that purpose and meaning, you know? And then so um, not only I did that, but I also obviously like created an art piece for it, which um, kind of like paired with my presentation, which was about DAOs and like the future of NFTs and combining DeFi's with NFTs and stuff. Um, and then uh, shortly after that, uh, Pleaser DAO had acquired the Snowden NFT and um, you know, even to this day, I have this relationship with Pleaser DAO where I hope it's like that we elevate each other and um, me sort of like being, you know, kind of the inspiration and hopefully um, nudge them in like certain directions of like how they make their decisions and everything um, is all about things that benefit like internet natives, but also the entire community and crypto positivity um, and so, uh, in, in conjunction with that, I was also getting more and more involved in PleaserDAO and realizing that PleaserDAO is not just a one-time thing where they just came together to purchase my piece, but that this could be something bigger. It could be an entire movement, right? And uh, I think they are, you know, sort of like currently on that path, which is amazing. And then, yeah, I kind of just became a little bit more selective about what projects I work with and. You know, I still very much believe in the concept of DeFi. Uh, I just don't have as much time to be doing um, commissioned videos anymore, unfortunately. But at the same time, I think the upside of that is that I think through my sort of like pioneering, I did inspire a lot of creatives to also follow in my path. And so, you know, there are other people who are making really cool content for DeFi protocols now um, but, and that I'm not the only one, which is amazing. And then I think probably... So then, yeah, then June came along and I did Bitcoin Miami. Um, and then something else that I did that I felt like was beneficial to the crypto community was I partnered with ENS and I kind of wanted to sort of reward people who were active in crypto. And then so we did an airdrop of 100 people um, randomly selected if you had set a reverse record on your ENS that you could receive a people pleaser NFT for free. And I believe those right now are trading at like, Five ETH, so that's a pretty good hair job <laughs> for people, and it makes me happy, you know. And the, the piece itself is um, crypto native, like the the subject matter is about like the concept of ENS, and so it's just kind of like this, just sort of gives you an idea of the types of projects that could interest me, or what I choose to use my platform and voice to communicate. And then you know, in sort of like in July, then I did the. Um, Ethereum documentary crowdfund, which we did on here, but, um, and this was a collaboration with Linda. Um, and so basically what they did was I, I made like, you know, some, um, series of NFTs, which is like the first NFT, like as a movie poster, I guess, or movie poster as an NFT. And then we used that to crowdfund, um, the Ethereum documentary that is being made now because the fund was successful. Um, and we've raised over a thousand Ethereum in 24, wait, or in 48 hours. Um, so yeah, this is also something that, you know, sort of like aligned with my ethos because 
you know, I also want to see an Ethereum documentary being made, right? And, you know, there's nothing more sort of like meta than like crowdfunding an Ethereum documentary, like on Ethereum. Um, it just the whole thing made sense, you know, and then, and then like after, really after that, uh, Fortune magazine had uh, the creative director of Fortune reach out to me and asked if I would be interested in uh, making the cover of their next uh, issue, which was going to be covering uh, cryptocurrency and DeFi. And, you know, of course that was like, I was like, look, if there's anything that can help sort of like educate the masses, um, you know, more positively, and, you know, it's not like propaganda or anything. Like I still hope people are, are like objective about it. I don't want to live myself in an echo chamber either, but I do feel like um, it's great if sort of more traditional media are taking on the task of educating people about cryptocurrency and DeFi. And so I definitely saw this as um, an opportunity to use that platform to sort of communicate this to others as well. You know, the entire issue is going to cover crypto. It's not just the cover, but if my cover art can be a means to one, make the entire community feel elevated and represented because I put crypto Twitter on the cover basically. Um, and also that it can help uh, regular people, you know, like normies understand the topic more, or if it can, they can be drawn in because of the cover art and then entice them to read more of what's being covered inside. Um, these are all things that I stand for. So that, I guess like that sort of like way of thinking um, is what led me to where I am today. Yeah. And I think, look, there's lots of, you know, whether you're aware of it or not, actually listening to you over the last half an hour or so, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that's very consistent in how you've approached the space and, you know, seems very considered intentional, but most importantly, purposeful. Um, and I think that kind of uh, community centric approach is um, is really powerful. And of course, you know, the reason why I think that's really important to highlight is you know, there's a lot of people making money that they've could have even couldn't even dreamed of, to be honest with you, um, mm -hmm. right now, whether it's flipping NFTs or doing, you know, weird things in DeFi. Um, it's very easy to lose sight of why you're doing it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I personally wrestle with that all the time. It's like, you know, this is probably one of the most exciting moments in a generation, maybe two, certainly my, mm -hmm. for me in my generation, you know, what, am, what am I going to do with my time? Like, how can yeah. I be most impactful? Um, and I guess authentic. And it, it looks like you, you, you've kind of nailed it. So, um, congratulations on that. Um, Thank look, you. people, please, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Um, thanks for sharing your story with us. I'm really excited to see what happens next. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. Thank you.